0: So did you catch the Oscars? I mean, that's not something I watch, but do you
1: watch the the Academy Awards? Uh, I don't think I've ever sat down to watch them in my entire life, but yeah. I watched a lot of YouTube clips this week. Yeah, I mean, I woke up to my
0: group chat being like max messages, and I was like, what the heck? And then I logged on Twitter, and that was all over the place. For those who live in a cave but somehow still listen to our podcast... <laughs> Will Smith got up and slapped the hell out of Chris Rock on national television in the middle of an awards show. And it caused some interesting discussions, I'll say. Uh, Mainly, if Chris Rock deserved it, if what Will Smith did was right, if uh, men should stand up for their partners the way he did, if you consider that standing up for them. And a lot of other, like, societal issues, toxic masculinity the sickness in Hollywood of somebody assaulting somebody else on live television and then giving them a standing ovation
1: like 30 minutes later or however long it was. And I don't think there's going to be like any actual consequence to anybody doing anything. <laughs> like, no. no. especially my charges. So like, Yeah uh what, what are your initial feelings on the situation? Well, the funniest thing was on my way to work, I usually listen to a like, local uh, sports talk radio here, and I didn't hear any sports opinions that day. Every no. single show was that. Yeah, Shannon and Skip. Everybody was that. Yeah, I think, I mean, probably the same stuff everybody else has said. Context matters a lot. Chris Rock is a comedian at an awards show. He didn't make fun of anybody that wasn't a public figure, and I think the reality of living as a public figure means that you're going to get made fun of, and especially at an event like that where like everybody is coming out to roast somebody. Like Mm -hmm. Ricky Gervais did it
0: for like for like five years. That was he was Ricky Gervais
1: was the host, and for like five years, all he did was make fun of everybody in the yeah in the audience. So, yeah, I mean, I think like I'm not going to say there's nothing off limits, but I will say comedy is, I think, a sacred place in society that shouldn't shouldn't go into a serious response. Again, I'm not saying nothing's off limits, but nearly nothing is off limits in comedy. Yeah. And we could even be let's let's still
0: man for Will Smith right now. Let's say Chris Rock knew she had was suffering from alopecia and he was trying to make a mean spirited joke. Mm hmm. Saying I can't wait to see you in G.I. Jane 2 is, like, such a low, low bar of mean-spirited and, like, it wasn't that bad of a joke. And for him to, like, freak out about that joke is just weird. Like, it's obviously – there's obviously something going on with him. That being said. I think there's a lot probably going And I'm not being funny, yeah. Right? yeah, no, there's a lot. I mean, he needs help for sure. They, they all do. I was – you know, I <laughs> yeah. said they – have a crappy family. They all need help. They're all not normal. I mean, how could they be normal? They're the way they've grown up in the spotlight and have hundreds of millions of dollars and celebrity and all that. But I'm more interested in like the topic at large of how many people came out to defend Will Smith saying they would do that. They would do the same thing in their situation. Or I've seen women say, I hope my man sticks up for me like that. What is your feelings on, on that angle of it? Like, again, I don't think either of us really care about the celebrity gossip what's going to happen to will smith and chris rock and who cares like that that sort of thing doesn't matter to me like him not having suffering any consequences sounds exactly right for for hollywood uh but i'm more interested in in like the societal cultural thing of like if somebody disrespects you or your your partner that you need to take physical there should be a physical violent response
1: yeah um so there the, are the probably elements of truth, in my opinion, in both perspectives. You know, and I'll, I'll start with like what I teach my oldest son, you know, and what I've taught him since he was about six or so is, you know, you have strength and your responsibility to steward that strength is only to protect and defend, not to bully and not to get your own way and not to intimidate. Um, and I think that's 100 percent true. Having said that, again, context matters. It's a comedian. Your wife is a public figure. All of these things. Now, if she was upset about it. I think the way I would have handled it is to talk to him backstage after the show, like, hey, man, I get you're a comedian, and get it was a joke, but this is like really crushing her world. Like, you know, I, I would prefer it if you would apologize, but I don't, I don't want to hear jokes about my wife and this disease anymore. And then if he kept doing it, then it's like, okay, now you're just blatantly disrespecting. But, but again, the other part of that that I also teach my son is there's a self control element to your strength. And the reality is you're not actually protecting and defending in every instance. If you just beat the crap out of everybody that says mean things, because eventually the real world is going to catch up to most of us. And there's just going to be assault charges in prison and you don't actually solve anything. So I'm definitely not on the side of violence or violence for the sake of protection is never the answer. But I also think in that instance, there was really no protection um, element to it and I think it could have been addressed addressed backstage man to man like hey not sure if you know this but I want you to and really want you to not have to uh, go down this road again.
0: Yeah and I, so I don't know if you saw like the uncensored the whole clip of it. But <laughs> he, walked back, he walked back to his seat and then he started like when Chris Rock was going, wow dude, wow he was like shouting at him like keep my wife's name out of your mouth F-word out of your F and mouth. Yeah. If he had just done that Like I would have been like, oh, man, that's pretty crazy. But, you know, Will has every right to do that. I mean, it's still crazy in in the context of it being a live broadcast for like the year end award show. But that would have been he would have that have been a better way to handle it than walking up and slapping him. Uh, If he just yelled at or like, you know, like she's got alpicia, you know, you asshole like any that would have been fine. Like I think people would have even probably been on his side. Even better is if he would have when he obviously he didn't know he was going to win. I mean, they're not supposed to know, but if he, you know, he goes up and wins and gives his acceptance speech and like dedicates it to his wife and like talks about her struggles with alopecia. It just makes Chris rock look like an asshole. Oh like, yeah. You don't, you know, like there was, you, you could have made that turn that around and been the good guy so easily and still had that, Image of protecting your wife and standing up for your wife. Like, that's how you stand up for your wife. Like, I saw I, again, I kind of want to more talk about the cultural issues. Like, I saw a lot of like, that's what a real man does. And I'm like, no, that's what a child does. How he reacted was childish. There's nothing adult or manly about it. If and I saw a lot of this take also, which I probably agree with, is like Chris Rock is like five eight, 160 pounds. Will Smith is 6'2, uh, oh, yeah. trained for trained for years to play Ali in a boxing movie like if if the rock instead of Chris Rock makes that joke, Will Smith isn't doing that Will Smith like, all, there. takes it <laughs> yeah he, he doesn't he, like he laugh, he sits there and laughs awkwardly, maybe like whatever but like it, like it, nothing about how he acted was right if if this is I, I don't necessarily, I don't agree that violence is ever the answer for words generally unless it's threats but like if you're on the street like you're out and about and somebody says that, slapping them is a little bit different of a context. But even if it's not the Academy Awards, if you go to a comedy club and sit in the front row and the comic makes fun of you or your wife, you don't have any right to get up there and slap him. Like that's what they're that's what they're there to do. It doesn't matter how inappropriate the joke is. Don't leave. Just leave. Yeah. Don't come back. Give them a bad review. Like you don't. And like the context of that's the context of like a comedy club. The context of
1: the Oscars is even more insane that he did that. Like it's just nuts. Well, but yeah, and that, con- I mean, the Oscars is one step short of, like, just a roast on Comedy Central. Like, again, yeah. like, that's, that's the whole purpose. And, it, man, like, I'm not saying it's right. I, I'm saying I can definitely have a lot more understanding if, like, you and your buddies were, like, chilling out with your wives and one of them had too much to drink and said something. It's like, hey, dude, that ain't funny. And then he kept going. Like, I could see the heat of the moment, like, boiling over to, like, throwing punches, you know? Um, not, again, not necessarily excusing it, but saying, like, I can get that because the context is very different. But I say at the end of the day, like, what what did you expect? Like, you, again, both of you. And I think it'd be different too if, like, Denzel's Denzel Washington's wife, for instance, who's not a public figure, has never wanted to be in the limelight. Like, if he just started targeting, you know, essentially what, like civilians, right? Like, right. Like, dude, like, not cool. My wife doesn't want this life, so you don't want the attention. And you're targeting somebody for like, yeah, and if. And I bet Denzel doesn't get up and slap him still. But I can't <laughs> all yeah. of these factors are relevant in like the again like the cultural aspect of cool. I'm all about men defending women and men defending their wives, but it's not a binary issue in this instance.
0: Yeah, and like obviously Chris Rock didn't expect it. One it's thing that, back. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and he, like he, I thought I think he thought Will was going to come up and whisper something to him or like say something to him personally. Like he was like leaning forward, like. Like he goes, uh oh. And then Will slapped him. And it's just like completely caught him off guard. But I was talking to, you know, my co host on the OVO gaming show, Josh. We were having this conversation in Discord. And he's like, no, I I totally understand how Will feels. And it's like, yeah, I understand how Will feels too in that situation. Like if he's embarrassed or feels like he's being shown up or, you know, he's going through a lot of stuff with with his wife, uh, I I get that, that emotion. But it's like the way he reacts, there's no, there's still no, Excuse for how he reacted, but again, like that's that's a topic for I don't I don't I don't care about Will Smith. I don't care what happens. I was more concerned about people like backing up Will Smith and like some of it's fake bravado. Some of it's like yeah, I would do the same thing, but it's like you that's not how you're supposed to re- respond. And I saw like uh, not troubling. Like I wasn't troubled, but like just like I've seen the the I saw it be like oh the way people are reacting to Will Smith is. A very black or white issue and black people are like oh chris rock got what he deserved and i'm like that's like an indict you're like that's a sad indictment of your of your
1: culture if, that, if that's how you think a, a grown man should respond in that situation we talked talk about that on the breakfast club like i don't know if you listen to Charlemagne on the breakfast club but like he picked up on that and he was like people are saying the uh you know the oscars aren't white anymore and he's like this isn't black like violence ignorance like the lack of self-control that's not black culture and I yes. was like, I'm glad somebody with a platform is saying, like, it's not a yes. way okay
0: to say, like, and that's my best friend was talking about that because, like, everybody, like, we had uh, the group chat was talking about whether it was fake or not, like, it was staged. And my best friend was like, No, like, these are two high profile black men. There's no way they'd stage a violent act like that to like, they need to be on their best behavior because some people on the far ends of the spectrum are going to point to that and use that as an oh all black people are like, look at these, look at these two black men at the pinnacle of their careers, still using violence against each other. Like there's no way that, that they would fake that or come up with that as a bit in that situation. And it's just like, yeah, not without it
1: being very obviously a bit, right, right. It would have been a lot more
0: obvious, <laughs> so. not, it would have been Chris rock, smacking Will Smith and Will Smith, like falling down the stairs, like in a funny fashion. Yeah. Like that's, that's how, you know, it would have been a bit, not Will Smith cocking back full strength. And I don't know. It's crazy. But yeah, uh, crazy, probably one of the most talked about online events in a, in a decade. It's been like maybe even longer. Like the way it sent, like it's just like cultural shockwaves. Like everybody was talking about it all at once.
1: That is honestly the only reason I knew about it that night is because I happened to check Twitter And I didn't see anything that I cared about until I was like, why is Will Smith and the account, like, why is this trending? It's like, so I YouTube it. And I was like, oh,
0: dang. All over Twitter, all over Reddit, all over everything. Group chats were lit. It was a crazy cultural moment. But yeah, I really hope that uh, people out there think more about the context and the nuance and not some man insulted your wife, because that's. That's not really the whole story. You really need to understand that in a situation like that, attacking the the comedian is not ever the right response.
1: Yeah. And you know, I've heard several comedians say, like, oh, good. Like, now no so I do is safe because people think that if, if you offend them now with a joke, <laughs> that is free to assault. I hope it do not yeah. go that route because I hope most people realize they're not Will Smith and the people that are talking aren't Chris Rock. But
0: yeah. I mean, I think that there'll probably be copycat incidences, but I don't think it's going to be like some kind of like pandemic of of this happening. I think it was a very isolated incident. The fact that they let him sit back down and continue the show is just astonishing to me. I
1: I can't believe they didn't like pull him out of the building and, you know, talk to him. If it were to happen to another celebrity comedian next, who would you pick
0: another celebrity comedian next? This is going to be a weird answer because I don't think he's like an insult comic. I, he's really not, but I just think the the rhetoric surrounding him over the last year. Like I think Joe Rogan, like Joe Rogan could absolutely get attacked on
1: stage. <laughs> yeah, Joe Rogan's too big to get attacked. Who's the? Uh, I hate that I asked the question. Now I forget the guy's name. Who's the guy that had the show on Comedy Central? He's he's a Dolphins fan, Miami Dolphins. Daniel. Fan. Daniel Tosh. Oh, he's the next one. He is definitely the next one <laughs> that gets popped if
0: it happens. I, I don't, I honestly, don't, I don't think it'll be anybody big name, but it's going to be like these. There's a lot of comics that do crowd work, like that's their thing. Like they, that yeah. they, you know, um, the the roast master guy, uh, Jeffrey Ross, like that's what his his thing is. He roasts people.
1: They want to be. They come to the show to get roasted by him. If you get upset by him picking on you, you don't know his. Like you know nothing about him, and you're mm-hmm. highly sensitive.
0: Yeah, but that's the same. You can say the same thing about Chris Rock. Like imagine getting upset about that that joke. Like it's such a such a bland, blase joke. Like a throwaway joke that he just said. And uh, he got smacked for it on live TV, but uh, man, we're going. We're trying every week. We're trying to set new records for our intros. It's impressive because we're we're already 16 minutes in and uh, haven't given our Twitter handles. It's a, it's a new record. But welcome to the OVO Deep State show. I'm Jake. I'm at the rake, but the A's of four on Twitter. My co-host, as always, at Thomas Black underscore eighty six on Twitter. The show's Twitter at OVO Deep State. You can find links to previous episodes, links to our Discord. As I mentioned earlier, we had a very long discussion about the Will Smith incident. Nobody really was defending him. But like I said, Josh was giving the, the empathy perspective about like all he's gone through with Jada and like being in that mindset and all that. And like I totally get that. Still no excuse for violence. Uh, but yeah, join the Discord. I say it every week. Thomas still isn't in there. One of these days, we'll get him. Um...
1: One I, need of these I need to put it on my computer. so it's you need to put it on my phone. Phone. Yeah, phone. I'm way too long
0: to type messages on my phone. Use voice to text, man. It's 2022. But we are going to conclude our education series. It's been two months. We're gonna bring our education series to an end. Not to say that we won't talk about education in the future. I think there's some other topics, or who knows what will come up. But for this particular series, we're gonna talk about what we think the solutions are for these problems that we have talked about in the previous two parts. Thomas has already alluded to his his solution. I'm going to do my best to push back on that. I'm, I don't really have a well-thought-out solution other than the statu- improving the status quo, but uh, maybe we'll get somewhere. Maybe you'll convince me or uh, I'll pick up something that you said and twist it on you like I'm wont to do. But uh, what would you say is your grand solution to solve all of our education
1: issues so yeah like i think i like talked about last week i think ultimately school choice um is what needs to happen but it's not just school choice under the status quo um, i think kind of speaking broadly um the state should do a couple of things at the again at the state level i think it's reasonable to say we're going to have uh kind of general benchmarks that we want for uh, reading comprehension um writing skills mathematics Things of that nature, because you have to have a standard, a, a uniform standard, a uniform floor, if nothing else, that we're, we're trying to uh, obtain. From there, calculate what you want to spend per student. Because even now, like you have across, say, here's what we're spending per student. And give that money essentially as a student voucher to families and say, send this to whatever school you want to go to. This is how schools are going to receive funding. And that would pretty much go to whatever school's. Your, your tax dollars would support. So I think it should be done at the state level because that broadens choice. If you do it like at the county level with property tax, um, like most of it's done now, for some places you may only have two or three choices. Um, but if you do it at the state level, and especially if you're bordering you know, one or two other counties, you've got a whole other world of opportunities that would be open to you. So I think that the biggest thing is give people the most choice possible. And this private schools can still kind of as they do, and I would probably allow for some kind of like a, I mean, essentially treat people giving scholarships or donating scholarships like you would any other 501c3. You know, you can have that tax deductible, but that would be at the state level. I think in the school board, it gets a little tricky because those are going to have a much smaller role, almost like you talked about with, with voting. Um, I think, you know, their responsibility would essentially be to make sure there's at least one public school option. Reasonably accessible to everybody. I think ultimately, if you do, if you you don't have some kind of local government making this possible, um, you're going to have low-income neighborhoods with the closest school to them being 15, 20 miles away, and I don't think that's an equitable way to do this. So I think basically, based off population, you might say, okay, if there's only 50,000 people in your county or 100,000 people in your county, you need to have a school within 15 miles of everybody. If there's 2 million, you need to have a school within a mile and a half of everybody. And again, making those numbers up. But the point being, make at least one option available and with easy access. And I think the school board could probably also have a role in um, just kind of coordinating some, some logistics, almost like public transportation does. So again, you're, you're making public education the most accessible with the most options. And I think a lot of these problems we're complaining about are what's seen on both sides, go away if it's not the state handing down to every school um, how they're going to handle LGBTQ plus issues or how they're going to handle curriculum issues um, where allegedly CRT is running rampant throughout public education. I think if you have school choice, you're not going to have this problem the way that some people would, would say already exists. And at the end of the day, I think having school choice and fighting for students is going to raise the bar.
0: How do you... Are, are you going to require that schools make admissions choices on students
1: distance agnostic? Um, yes. And this would be fun because I, have, I haven't talked about this a lot to try to put any kind of details, but I think would work, especially by somebody who would like want to push back. <laughs> so every time you ask a question, I'm thinking, how are, me? Me. how are you trapping me? not How are you trapping me? Um, why
0: would I push back?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think the school and unless those cases of expulsion – they, they shouldn't get the choice of whether or not you get to go there. I think as long as there's a, you know, kind of advanced notice, or, you know, you kind of, you know, worst case say so my intent is to go here. So that way, you know, there can be a reasonable budget set. And again, the logistics of it could, could work because you can't have 40 people in a class.
0: Right. You, you mean more charter school than private school. A private school absolutely can discriminate on, who they let in.
1: Yes, I'm talking about,
0: yeah, I'm talking about,
1: yeah, those who would still be considered public school, yeah, public school options.
0: Yeah, Uh, the charter school model is more public than, it shares more in common with the public than public schools than the private schools do. They still have, like, some sort of admissions process, I believe, but I think you could abolish that or change that radically more easily than you can. not Like, the government really, if you're talking about private schools, they should be private. They're really... Shouldn't be a whole lot other than the safety of the children. The government really shouldn't have a whole lot of saying that Mm
1: -hmm. I am
0: more interested in a charter school option than giving people vouchers to go to private schools. I don't think private schools, I am more against private school education than I am against charter schools for the most part. I think that I'll let you respond, but I think that all you're going to do is give private schools more money. That they don't need, and they're just going. They can rate again. They can discriminate on who they let in, and they can raise tuition to make sure that it's outside the voucher range anyway. And then they're just going to collect public funding for free, basically. I would exclude private schools from unless, like, much like the military, there should be a waiver for everything. If the private school is the closest school to you, and it's you have no interest in going, you know, much further than that private school. Sure. But I don't think just carte blanche, like all vouchers should work for private schools. Uh, if we were going to move that to that sort of model. Additionally, I don't think private you'd have to make this kind of contradicts what I previously said, but you'd have to m- set regulations for private schools, which I don't think the government should be. If you want to send your kid to a private school, you should know that that's they're going to be under their own, own rules and regulations and that the government's not going to be a part of that uh, in general, again, other, other than the safety of the students.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, and I would almost, how would I say this? I would expect that, let's say a private school is going to charge 20 grand a year and the voucher's worth 10. It wouldn't surprise me if they raise it to 25 or 30, because again, knowing, I mean, we talked talk about this during our UBI conversation, like knowing that the populace is guaranteed this floor changes the business model because now, you know, there's more income there. And I'm with you on not letting private schools kind of take up public funds just for the wealth of the the school itself. I, I wonder if though there the could be, the, you know, if you spent a day or so kind of thinking about it, if you could somehow, like you said, there's a waiver for everything, and say, okay, you can accept the you know public fund, but only on the basis that you know their tuition goes to extra amount. Or you can just not accept public funds and charge whatever you want. Okay, I think at that point the private school would be. That's basic. That's basically how Medicare works, right? Yeah, um, yeah I believe so. I don't know, like a hundred percent. Like this is what the government will pay for this, and that's so that's what your rate needs to be. Yeah, and, and if you don't want to accept it, and that's that's fine. That's on you. But right, it, it's going to just change the. It's going to change the size of your market. So you make a business choice with what you want to do with it. So yeah. I
0: mean, this could, I mean, the government could absolutely regulate private schools. I'm just saying, in my opinion, I would keep private schools private, but then they would miss out on that. Or maybe that's what they, you know, kind of what they do. Like they accept regulation in order to get this voucher money. Uh, they accept some oversight from, but again, I think when you use the term private, it's it's really the private sector period in this country is not really the private sector, right? There's so much crony capitalism and the government does get to pick and choose kind of which companies succeed and which don't based on rules and regulations that they set forth. And then our Congress people get to trade stocks based on that insider information. It's a really great system we have. Uh, <laughs> I would prefer that private schools stay private.
1: Yeah, no, and, and I'm not against that argument either. But I think, again, under, under the way I'm looking at government involvement in education, the only thing they would, that, that private schools would really need to submit to is, hey, here's the minimum standard that all of your children have to have to obtain at, you know, let's say third, sixth, ninth, twelfth grade or something to that effect. But everything else about how you get there, doesn't matter, right? So if you want to go like super extremes, you know, have only LGBTQ books, have only CRT books, it teaches you to read the same way. And at the state level, I just want a literate population that knows how to do a basic level of math. And, and beyond that, like, It is what it is. So, I think even the private schools would look at this and say, like, you're not, you don't have anything to do with my curriculum, because again, they wouldn't be public schools either. You don't have anything to do with being neutral on religious matters, because I am a private school. Whereas in the public school, you'd still have to be neutral on religious matters, things of that nature. So, so I think there would be such a minimal amount of involvement from the government that really would just come down to a business decision. What what do you want? Do you want high revenue with a smaller market base, or, or do you want lower revenue with a broader market base.
0: What You, you kind of touched on it a little bit with the CRT curriculum, whatever. Like where do we draw the line on, this is a loaded word, but like indoctrination, right? Like what if we, I'm going to go really, really extreme uh, just to make the point, but not that I think this would ever happen or be a reality. But like what if the KKK started a private school or a charter school, uh, not charter, private school, right? are you going to allow government funds to go to that sort of operation? Even if they claim they're not going to discriminate or whatever, like it's, it's a ridiculous thing to claim, but I'm just saying like in that's in that situation, like where do we draw the line? Like who's overseeing what is acceptable for an institution to receive these government? Cause you we're going to, you're going to have, I, I think if you, if you open it up to school choice in a voucher program, you're going to have a wide variety, which that's like one of the main benefits you're going to have choice. Right. But, Choice isn't always good or like wide variety isn't always good. It's good when you cut out the extremes and you keep more stuff, you know, center left to center right. And we're not in the far extremes. Like where do who, who draws that line? Where do we draw that line? Who regulates that? Should we regulate that? Some people would see very, very religious people of one certain denomination might be upset if their tax dollars are going to another religious domi- denomination they might see as a threat to their way of being, their, their, their lifestyle, or maybe even just their life, right? Like we know certain religions have centuries long feuds with each other. Like what, what, what is the, how do you, how do you deal with all of that? I know that's a really big and broad question, but that's something that I would, I
1: would consider. Yeah. So I think that the two Probably equally broad answers, and we can maybe you know narrow down a little bit um, after I give my response. Would be if you have school choice, you have to serve the market, and if you want to serve the fringes, you're going to have the most awesome eight-person class in the state, maybe for those eight people, because there's just not a lot of people that are going to be like, oh, I definitely want my kids taught by KKK members. You know, likewise, like you know, I don't know what the opposite end of KKK or maybe like Black Panthers um, would be like sure. the opposite end. But whatever that is, or Antifa probably would be more modern. Antifa, like, than what,
0: what, Weather Underground, was that a, Was that an old school left-wing terrorist group?
1: <laughs> Who knows anymore? But, but yeah. I'm saying, like like you said, the vast majority of the population is not on those fringes. So, so I think the market, to some degree, takes care of that in and of itself. Um, but the second thing I would say is the proper role of government is to protect life, liberty, and property. So you can say all this nonsense— and you can think it and you can believe it really hard. But the second you act on it, you're ending up in prison. So thoughts and words in and of themselves are at most obnoxious. It's when those thoughts and words motivate somebody to action. That's when there has to be a stronger deterrent to, to make people at some point. Almost like you were saying, if you know The Rock says that joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith sits down <laughs> because there's a stronger deterrent than the emotion felt or what he really thinks is the right thing to do in that moment, right? Yeah.
0: The the problem I have with that is, like, uh, the KKK is a bad example. It's very obvious. But, like, you say that, like, the fringes can't get – but, like, I'm not going to say I, – I, this is – I shouldn't have said the KKK because now everything I compare or I, I, every example I use is going to get compared to that. But, like, Mormons are a pretty fringe religion, but they have BYU. Like, BYU is not anywhere near – on the verge of failing because it can't find people to fill its school with of the same viewpoint, even though they're a much, much smaller minority of, of Christianity. There are, I'm sure there are majority Islamic schools when they are like a very small minority here. uh, That sort of thing. Like, I still think that like, especially when you open it up the way capitalism does, I think capitalism and privatization serve niche markets. So I think you're going to get like, what if Westboro Baptist church opened a school? Right. They're going to be able to fill that school. They're going to be able to make money. Like they they have that you you there's like there's a there's a break-even point, right? And I just feel like that's a it's really low. Like the break-even point for a lot of this would be really low, especially if the facilities aren't grand and massive, and we're not talking about like um, you know, giant three thousand person high schools. A hundred person high school That's that's all over the Midwest, right? Like where they they're and I'm sure they're very, very low overhead. Uh, So I I just I would worry that you're going to get indoctrination is like such a loaded word. But like, I think you're going to get more indoctrination. We're we're we're, we already like have these debates over whether we're more divided now than ever before. And -hmm. like, I would see that I would see that rift getting much wider if we're all not getting a base of like we already think you went to public school, correct? I did. (laughs) As did I, as did I, I grew up in a small town too. And there was a Christian private school that we couldn't afford to go to. I'm glad because I wouldn't, I would have been miserable there. But like, we already like had the divide of like, oh, those are the private school kids. Like we, we already had that. And like, I think when we got older and we all got to high school, because I think the Again, we were in a small town. It only went through like eighth or ninth grade and then they came to the normal high school. Like those kids were pretty weird and foreign to us. We didn't really hang out with those kids. Not because like we didn't want to, but like we didn't, you don't interact with them on a daily basis. They weren't – we didn't see them enough. Like even if they lived, you know, one block over, you were hanging out with your friends from, from school because that's who you saw the most. Like I just think – I think that having – Splintering the public education into many, 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 many many smaller schools to serve many, many, many smaller community, not only communities, but also ideologies like I think that only is going to make the divide in the country worse. Right. Do you yeah. do you think do you think that's a, a valid fear, or is that just oh, like... no? No,
1: I think it's one hundred percent valid. And this is this is something I guess you know just personally. If I, if I am trying to think through what I think would be best, I am still kind of working on, it, especially with the role of the school board. And I'll get to where I think they could have a role, but I am not married to it. But to a few good points you made, let's start with West Grove. They can't fill the building; they're certainly not going to fill a school. And I think in this country, religion is kind of the ultimate. Like we're here if if you want to attend if you want. So
0: I I think though that like, if you, if you're giving people money to go to school, they're going to attract more crazies from around the country to fill that said school. Right. Like, especially if you, uh, this is a point that I, we, I wanted to bring up earlier when we're kind of on the subject, but like, if you have to, if you require that school to go out and like drive a bus to as far as whatever the radius of the students are allowed to go in, like, you're going to, you have a much wider net to
1: bring the fringes into your school. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But again, uh, I'm thinking the logistics would be handled at the county level. So I wouldn't be responsible as like a a county school board, if county school boards still serve a purpose in this model. And I think they do to some degree, but I wouldn't be responsible for getting somebody from the next county. My route would be only to serve the people that elected me so that that net is still small. And even let's say, that in this model, like with Virginia, we're in Northern Virginia, we had a responsibility to drive a bus to Virginia Beach, which is in southeastern Virginia. What kid is going, like, there's still a radius there that is, that is right. uh, I, narrowed I, by fire.
0: Yeah, I think a radius is necessary. But, like, for our area, like, even if you're just saying loud to Fairfax, like, loud to like, what if you live in Lovettsville and you want to go to somewhere in East Fairfax?
1: Like, that's one county over, but that's an hour and a half drive easily probably a little longer if you're taking buses and counting stops and everything like that yeah. but but again the responsibility of the county would only be able to get you to, to they drop you off the on the
0: border of the county and then the other county's got well, to come again
1: like with <laughs> sort of responsibility like it's up to the family to decide how we're going to get there and win but but I, I would say like kind of going back to to westboro and then i'll make comments about byu like sure there is nothing stopping people from going there and they don't because they're they're I, I, I'm not a fan, um, for a number of reasons. So I'm trying to like, be very, it, it,
0: you, you know, on the specific example, yeah. but I'm just
1: saying like stuff like that, like maybe no, they're not as extreme, stra- but but I would even say like, like your, your BYU example is good. But again, a couple of notes there, BYU, if you know anything about this country, you don't have to know what state BYU is in to take a reasonable guess, right? Like BYU doesn't survive in California. Of course. Like not, 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 on like a, not on like a broad spectrum. They serve sure. very, like they're much smaller. They're, they're not playing football, you know, all that stuff. So, again, I think it just kind of reflects your your school and your options, reflects the reality in a lot of ways of your location. And this is where I would go, and I think the school board could have – I think I like the idea of the school board hiring, let's say, like the principal or kind of basically like the senior person. Hey, I'm going to appoint you. You, you ultimately – Um, are accountable to the board, but you fill out your staff how you want, you find what curriculum you want to serve. So that way you you kind of have some check from the voters against the the far extremes, because unless your county is extreme by nature, you're not going to see that in your education system. And again, I think there's just a certain reality to to some degree that's already existing. Like what you get taught about a variety of subjects in California is not what you get taught in Alabama because your education system reflects your society. And I think think that's an important thing in the sense of people should ultimately have the most control over the direction of education. And then they should have the maximum choice within that system.
0: I think with the school boards, I think you absolutely have to keep them. And... The reason being, if you're gonna if you're going to go the charter school route, there has to be, I we see it in privatization of every area. People are going to cheat these schools if they if they have standards they need to meet, standardized test scores they need to meet, and their funding depends on it. They're going to try to cheat, like it's just how it is, or or, or they're going to try to provide on a different, not cheating on a different level. They're going to try to try to cut corners on school lunches on equipment on whatever like to to maximize profits like that's what privatization that's what capitalism does you you drive down costs you maximize profits you you maximize returns for your shareholders that's yeah that's that's that's, that's the like meta that's the meta of capitalism i i would keep the school boards because i think you're going to need those people to go i think the school board should be like the third party that are going in to make sure everything's above board i wouldn't let the i would let the 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 County school boards should be responsible for the standardized testing. They should be the ones proctoring it, gathering the results, all that stuff. Like, I wouldn't let the schools do that at
1: all because they're incentivized to cheat that system. Um, So, so yeah, I I don't think, um, at least off the top of my head, like, I don't think I disagree with that, especially – but again, I think the standards are often come from the state because I think, you know, like in our situation where we have several. Yeah, I'm not people, talking about. They should be the ones that assure that like, quality, there's quality assurance. Yeah, yeah there, there's integrity in the system. Um, but I also think there's a certain reality to, I mean, you brought up several good options, like several good, good points, you know, with uh, like food or cutting corners. People are just going to know about that. And if the school gets a reputation for, for serving like moldy bread, I'm not sending my kid there. Right. If your school has a reputation for testing well, but but uh, graduating functionally ignorant students who don't perform well in college, like, again, I'm going to have that knowledge. And I'm going to have that information at least available. And yeah, I'm not going to you. You don't prepare my child. Um, I think in the same way, like for for my kids, like I really want them to have really good critical analysis skills and I want their views to be challenged in, in like a very like respectful, like like you and I conversation type way. So I wouldn't send them necessarily to a school that's just going to reinforce or try to reinforce all of their beliefs. I would want them to be able to be like, have some pushback there. Do,
0: do you think that the current higher education system of universities and colleges is more, is, is close to what school choice would be for K
1: through 12? Um, yes, but I think, but with, the, with one of the big differences still being voters have a more active role, sure sure, sure yeah, sure. yeah but, but yeah I think I think generally speaking with how we described it, yeah, that's probably more there. yeah, do you think there are
0: schools that don't meet that would be rated poorly by other people, yes that have attended that school that like cut corners and mm-hmm. don't fund things, yes, but they still exist, right, probably because yeah. they probably because they might be the only option and they serve an underserved community? and there's really no better option right like we we already talked about like you have to have at least one school within a certain like radius like what does that mean i think if, if you're only going to have one school you give them that that's like a monopoly they can basically do whatever they want if they're the only school right they would need you would have to you would have to monitor that school as a monopoly basically
1: again i think there's a couple of points there um Currently, our system op, uh, operates as a, as a monopoly in a lot of ways. Like, you're zoned for a school. Yes. You know, sure. so, so, like, you just don't have the choice, right? But I think with kind of what I've described, one, you've got logistical support from that that's kind of being uh, administered and maintained by the people you voted into office at the local level. So if you had, let's say, in a populated region, one school within two miles of everybody, then that means the next school should be no more than four and the county should have a way of, of getting transportation there or you as a family should have a way of, of getting yourself there. I also think, again, the reason you may need a school board to handle like hiring and firing of the, the person in charge of those individual schools is if, if you've got, I'm making up this number, 10,000 people within two miles of your school, that's probably a high number, and if a high school let's say 3000 people students within 2 miles of your school and you've got a 400 person student body there's something wrong there why are 2600 students choosing to go elsewhere that's less convenient and and again i think that's that's where there would be more power put into the hands of the voters and still even if you don't like the office because maybe your person didn't win or you're a, you know more left leaning person in mississippi like <laughs> You have greater options to go to a a school that's more in line with what you value in education.
0: Yeah, I think – but I think that's kind of like we talk about – because we're in a – we're in northern Virginia. We're outside D.C. We have tons of people. We have tons of schools. We have a lot of good schools. That's generally how it goes when you're in in a populous area. I'm more worried about the Alabamas, the Mississippis, the Kansas, the the Dakotas where – the student body isn't big enough number to make it attractive for companies to go in there and set up good schools. Right. It's going to be one or two op- and That's not really an option. I mean, not saying we have an option now with public schools, but at least we have that baseline. Whereas if it's one or two private schools that go in to serve that community, like the school that's like in the city might be the worst school. And the school that's 20 miles away is the, the good private school. Like you're still going to have that you know, under below average school survive just because of the logistics of it. Like you only have limited options. And I know that school choice is supposed to expand options, but that's, that's very, that's a very urban big city centric view. In my opinion, I think that again, we're the reason why schools in Alabama and Mississippi are failing or are, are, nor, are normally at the bottom is, is there's not a lot of money there, right? Like there's not already, there's not a lot of tax base there to, to, fund public schools to a, an adequate level like I
1: don't think I don't think school choice necessarily fixes that well, so I think when you if you think about school choice too similarly to like entrepreneurialism and, and like you know just just baseline capitalism um, I think you have a really good point but I think the big difference is again this is still a public program where you're still going to have like, you know, the teachers in, let's say, Mississippi, for instance, like there's nothing stopping them now for going to a school where teachers may get paid a little more or uh, the students may be a little bit more like zealous for education or whatever the case is, but they still go there. What would change even in these rural counties is, hey, if I'm exceptional and if we as a group of teachers are exceptional, we're going to pull in maybe, you know, 50, 60, 70 other students. And if each student brings in a I'm, again, I don't know each state spends per student, but whatever that is, let's say 5000 or 10000 bucks. okay, our school get that much, and nothing's stopping the principal from saying, you know, your salary will be you know, 1% of every $10,000 we make, or whatever the case is, then it's like, oh, great, if we get more students because we're clearly the better school, now I'm incentivized and I get a pay raise, and it's not raising the taxes on the populace a bit, it's just me being rewarded because I'm better and my Institution that I work at is outperforming those in similar circumstances. So I think that's where you have some capitalistic like like tendencies. But I don't think it's necessary. Like I don't think it's going to radically disrupt to the point where South Dakota doesn't have a school because there's no market there. Because there's currently, it's not that they don't won't have a school. It's just like they're not going to have options.
0: Like it's not the same as what we would have here, right? We would have a thousand schools within a stone's throw away overnight, whereas a lot of these other communities wouldn't. Like,
1: that's not realistic. I I don't know. I mean, gosh, this is anecdotal, and that's a really bad way to make an argument, so I concede that. But I grew up in a a really small town. Uh, Our senior class set the record with 88 graduates, one red light, one restaurant. Yeah. But because of that, most people work 45 minutes away in, in Jacksonville, Florida. So if I'm a parent and I'm already driving that way, like is really not a, a significant inconvenience to go to Duval County, where there are four, five, six other options that might be better. And I think in more rural towns, unless you're in the like agriculture industry, for the most part, you're, you're working in a city and living outside of it. So I think if you do this at the state level, you you kind of have you do have unlimited options, but practically speaking, you you you're, you're not. It's not a big challenge, like logistically, it's just not a, as big of a challenge as it might be, in my opinion, as, you know, your concern that there would be.
0: So the other point I wanted to bring up is what do you think you kind of touched on with the, the Mississippi example of like, OK, we're going to attract the best students and then the best teachers. What, what ha- you're pulling those best students and best teachers from others, what we consider now other school districts, you know, you can't. It's not an unlimited space. So where do all the other underperforming kids or average
1: teachers, like, what do you do about them? I should say that again. Um, give me. Okay. So. You have to give me an example. You can just restate the question. I just want to. Want to
0: I'm, I'm not trying to, to think of an example. I'm, I'm trying to think of a better way to rephrase it. What do you do with all the under underachieving kids and average teachers who aren't going to get into those schools? Um, so
1: I'll answer the kids part first. I mean, you're, I, I mean,
0: you're, you're giving, you're giving people a choice to go to whatever school they want. But if there's a clear best school in your area, that's not really a choice if you can't get in. Right. But, but, to,
1: but again, like I say,
0: I think if you're, if you're, unless you're a
1: private school.
0: Well, even, even if you say a charter school has to have a wide net, they can only have so many students. There's no, right. Like, and and if you're telling them that they have to meet certain standards, like you can't force them to take all bad students and then say,
1: now you have to meet this test standard, right? Well, like the test standard thing is pretty similar to like what we already have. Um, I'm just saying like you, you don't do school choice and say laissez-faire is the attitude of the government with regards to education. I think they do have a responsibility there. I think – and it, honestly, that's a good question. So, like, I'm really spitballing because you're right. Like, you can't sure. just build another classroom, um, like instantly, right?
0: Right. Like, and, I mean, we have again. I'll use the college example. Like, the best colleges in the world, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Yale, whatever. Like, have a limited capacity. Limited, yeah. they can't they? Can't I? Didn't, no. I no, all, like, I didn't know. You all. Really, you really threw me on that one they have limited space right like they get they can expand however you know build new buildings or whatever but there's a finite amount of space there's a finite amount of students they can hold and support there's a finite amount of top professors and teachers that they can hire at some point you're going to have to reject people which obviously it's really hard to get into stanford and harvard and yale and not liberty but so there there's the reality of like you're going to send poor or I'm maybe not even poor but like lower lower achieving students you're going to get them pooled somewhere and that just seems unfair right you're not doing
1: them any favors no I agree with that and I, I think and again that might be a situation where the school has to get involved because I think you would just have to do essentially uh, to to prevent what you're talking about because there's a big part of this where I think it it's more equitable especially for minority communities who were redlined up until 30 yeah Forty years ago, um, and then you have a system that is funded by property tax, and then you don't have much property tax value, so you have a poorly funded school. Sure, I digressed a little bit, but I think I think you would almost have to do it as a first come, first serve basis, priority given to.
0: Well, they do like so in DC. There's in DC. There's lotteries.
1: They do lotteries
0: to all the different schools, so you can like you apply to the schools, and as long as you meet some minimum requirement, you're in the lottery, and then. You know, whatever school you get chosen for is the school you go to. But you're st- I th- even even in that situation, like I think you're still going to get a pooled group of l- like educated Like so I think like the left liberal point of view is like, well, actually, this is shifting nowadays with California and their math program. But like I think the old school old school way of thinking was like, okay, you put these struggling students into a class full of uh, high achieving students and like the group will raise them up. That's not really what happens. They see their peers doing well and they get frustrated that they're not getting it. And and it goes the other way. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't I haven't seen any studies as far as like grouping them all together and teaching them. in a Like I think this is just based off my own thoughts without much research into it. But my assumption would be that. If you put them all, group them all together and gave them good teachers who knew how to handle slower development, slower paced education, that's probably the best for them in the long run. But you would also have to slow them down from graduating. Like you couldn't just pass them grade to grade. Like it'd be a slower development process. You couldn't expect them to, to learn at the same rate as whatever the, and in the same token, like I think high achieving students would be able to graduate faster because you're not slowing them down, quote unquote. But I think there is a class, race, ethnicity, divide, uh, just background. You'd you'd probably see a big divide in that, I think.
1: Maybe. Well, I guess the the, kind of the first question was um, essentially how do you keep up with demand, right? Like what if you have too many students, you run out of classroom space. And I I would just say like thousands and thousands of people over hundreds and hundreds of years have figured out, how to keep pace with growing demand because you're fighting for you're fighting for that revenue it's,
0: it's more the thought of like you're going to attract the best teachers and therefore the best students right like and there, there's just so much there's only so much you can do and if one school is taking all the best like is there in any given area is there enough teachers that i would you would consider a you know stellar a plus teachers to fit Let alone, you know, to staff an entire let alone an entire school, but like a whole school district, like I just don't think that's necessarily. uh, Yeah, yeah. I would
1: think back a little bit, like on the notion that you're you're attracting the best students because, again, like you're a public school, you you don't get to like game the game by saying, "Oh, I'm only picking you um, because you're more likely to make me look good" or whatever. I think. Again, in my mind, a quick solution might be to say, again, it's up to the the person in charge of the school to keep pace with demand and, and to do their best, and they have incentive to do that now. But I think it ultimately say, okay, here's the rules: preferences given to returning classmen, and then whatever capacity you have left beyond that, because you've built, you've um, expanded, you figured out a way to make this bigger uh, to serve more people. It's the first people that like you have a wait list, basically. I mean, you do this for like season tickets to football. Like, I'm putting my name on the wait list. Uh, not to oversimplify the problem because it would be more complicated. But I think you do it like that. And unless you've been expelled from that institution, you get to go to that institution when when your time on the wait list is served and they have room to serve that many more people.
0: Right. But the thing is, right, so, like, even if you do a lottery system, if you're the best place in town, then everybody's going to apply to you. So your 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 pool of candidates is all the best students plus – not all the best students, right? But all the best students in the area are going to apply to your school. Whereas if you're the third, fourth, fifth, sixth best school, your pool of students isn't necessarily going to include all the best students, right? So if you're pulling 100 students from this pool of 10,000 students and it's all the best students in the area plus the non-best students in the area, and then you're the sixth best school and your pool is 2,000 students applied to you, But it's not the ratio of good students to bad students is much higher. You're more likely to have more bad students, even if you're doing a lottery system. It's just a pool, right? It's not an even thing. I don't know. I don't know if like, again, I'm not super versed in how DC does it. I don't know if it's like you have to apply to the schools to enter their lotteries or if it's just like you get put into the lottery for all the schools and whoever you get picked at, that's where you go. But, again, that kind of eliminates – that's not really a school
1: choice either. No, I give it the same, um, but, but I think at the end of the day, because each school would have the liberty to choose their own curriculum, they could say, hey, we'll meet standards and everything, but we're going to excel in math or we're going to excel in you know, science or whatever the case is, or truth be told, you're going to have some schools say, we're going to excel in football. <laughs> and, and, sure. and parents are ultimately going to choose, like, here's what I want for my child. Here's what I think is best for them. And I think you'll have some schools where it's like, hey, we're, let, let's just say average, like we're a good school, not exceptional, but we're a good school. But we have this particular program for, you know, advanced students or slower students. Because to your point, it may take them longer, but that doesn't necessarily have to mean like, more than the day, number of days in school. It could mean you've got one teacher for four students, um, so I can dedicate more time to them and learn their unique learning styles better and speak to them more clearly. So I, I think there are a lot of ways you can go after the market. And then again, it's like it's not like Walmart is the only type of store there is, right? There's dozens of competitors that are still in business and profitable and like doing well. And I, I think... That's what you do, right? You just find different approaches of how to serve the public. Um, So I don't think it's going to be this unique monopoly. Um, And as far as like kind of attracting talented teachers, I think you have that same issue already. So I don't think it will be exacerbated or worsened because, you know, if if you have a teacher that only wants to teach like the brightest students or the students with the most family support and involvement – you can find out where those schools are pretty quickly and easily.
0: Yeah. I, I don't want to make it seem like these are only problems with school choice schools, charter schools, private schools, whatever. Yeah. A lot of what we discussed today, you know, are, are problems that public schools have been dealing with for a long time. And I agree with you. Like there are well-known good school districts that teachers flock to. Sure. For sure. Uh, I don't I, 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 I guess it does the way we were t- have been talking about it. It does make it seem like we're. Comparing only this system, you know, this type of system's problems. But, yeah, there definitely are shared problems between school choice and the public education system. We're we're over the hour, Mark. The last thing I want to touch on, all of the 10 highest scoring countries in math, science, and reading have strong public schooling systems. To include China, who's number one in most categories. Japan, who's top five in most categories. Korea, who's top five in most categories. Which Korea of curiosity. Uh, North Korea. Actually, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly South Korea. surprised me that would have the uh, I mean, I don't. I doubt they have North Korean statistics. It wouldn't shock me that North Korea was number one. Uh, had good education as far as like the hard math and science. They they are the they would be the um, the KKK school for indoctrination for sure. <laughs> but I bet you their students are very very strong students. But for Europe, Germany, Netherlands, Scandinavia, all the Scandinavian countries, all in the top 10, all very strong public schooling. I I didn't do a ton of research. I don't know if there are countries that have strong privatization, a school choice type thing. One of the things that struck me, though, that I've read that I read when I was looking into China, Japan and Germany, when they get to high school, a lot of the students have a choice between going to a general education high school like we go to. We're sure. going to a vocational school to learn a trade. That's a very interesting thing and something that we should probably look into because I always, always, always see the statistics of like we need more plumbers. We need more electricians. We need more auto mechanics. We need more carpenters. And like and the way we do it here is we offer auto shop, wood shop, that sort of thing. But like actually going actually being able to go to a vocational school after like, say, sophomore year for two years and then, you know, getting your trade like in Germany, you can get your trades license when you get out of these vocational schools, that's a very interesting way of doing things, and I don't necessarily know if it's a maybe the vocational schools would be more chartery schools or like sponsored by sponsored by Ford, sponsored by I, I don't know any electric electrical companies. Siemens is an engineering company. If that would be like kind of a privatization part of it, but I think that's a really interesting thing that that should be looked into.
1: Here is. uh Allowing that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it brings two thoughts to mind that we didn't get a hit on is, is one, again, if you have school choice and I get to create the curriculum, I can look and, and say like, hey, I think there's benefit in having a vocational track where whether it be electrician or plumbing um, or anything that needs like licenses, certifications, like that's what you're doing. So when you graduate, you're 18, you've got multiple license, multiple certifications. You probably interned. And especially if you're coming from an impoverished family, like you come out of high school making 50, 60 grand a year, you've you've immediately in one generation pulled somebody out of poverty. And I think what's really exciting about the time we live in is even if you're making like 50, 60 grand a year with like the advent of technology at the like college level and how prevalent, like, you know, online schools are and stuff, you know, let's say you ultimately want to be an electrical engineer okay, I'm going to become an electrician at 18, making pretty good money, and I'm going to do my electrical engineering program online. And you can't. Arizona State has a fully online electrical engineering program. So by the time I'm maybe 24, 25, I've got my bachelor's probably less college debt than the average person if I handle my money you know, as creatively as possible. And I don't have a low ceiling that is usually brought on with just a high school degree. And what enabled that was my school had a quick way for me to make good money and give me a real trade. So I think that's really interesting. The other part I think is interesting is, again, in my, and this opened up a can of worms for an hour or seven into it, but in my view, because the money follows the student, let's say I have a special needs child and it's not uncommon for parents of special needs children to have a community of other parents with special needs children. Well, if I pull my five friends, we can put our 10 grand together and pay a private tutor 60 grand a year to homeschool our kids for us. And it doesn't take me out of that the workforce, but it does give my kid a better option if he needs, you know, special attention. And then again, that, that affects a lot of people, you know, especially like single mothers, for instance, who, you know, and if the single mothers in poverty who may have to work one or two jobs, like if you have ten grand and you can pull it with six or seven other people cool, I can pay a private... And now there's a market for private tutors that I can use to serve my child and not let them be trapped in poverty um, because the nature of children is to be foolish and not prioritize education. So, like, hiring a private tutor helps address that because I'm working two jobs and I can't stay on top of their homework and give them all the help they need because we have to survive for the day. So I think that would also open up a, a really exciting offering for a bunch of people who are struggling and get that family out of poverty, because often that poverty is generational and get them out of poverty much quicker than the current system we have.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting point. I don't want to, I don't want to dive too deep. It's already been a long conversation and I'm the longer we go, the more I have to edit. Uh, <laughs> well, we covered all the, we covered all the main points that I, I basically wrote out. And again, I, 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 this was more of a, um, workshop type episode of us thinking through and talking out our ideas. Uh, not something that like, again, I I didn't offer, I haven't offered any solution to fixing our school systems. I, I mean, I think the, the actual deeper answer is you, you've said it, you said it, I don't know how long ago, 10 minutes ago, but like, you need to, you need to be involved in your kid's education. Like that, that a parent involved in the kid's education is like the number one, like marker for success. If, if you're not, it doesn't matter how good your school is, if you're not paying attention to your kid or helping them out or reinforcing what they're learning, uh, or giving them extra curricular stuff to do outside of school, uh, to reinforce that learning, like they're just not going to be as successful on average, no matter what the school type is. Uh, but as far as like fixing public schools or school choice, I'm pretty in the middle. I think I see a way where school choice, especially the charter school system, could work. I just have a lot of – I'm very cynical about how capitalism can be pernicious in certain markets uh, like healthcare. And I don't – I see some dangers with that in education. But I do agree with some to a lot of your points. I would say – the vocational school system is absolutely like just I just read about a lot of this tonight from those those countries.
1: Like that is something that absolutely is interesting that we should be doing. Agreed. Um, and, and it should really be from again, it should reflect the local industry. Like there's probably no place in the world that bids, b- builds better ships, naval ships in Norfolk, Virginia. This would absolutely yeah. be an education track on all of the skills necessary to build a battleship. Yeah. And yeah. No I
0: mean, it would help. I mean, we could do uh, what? What do we got out here? Winemaking? We could do a, a viticulture vocational school. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, yeah, it absolutely gives people a track to a high-paying job way earlier, especially most most kids who want to be done with school you know the dropout age is what like 16 like that's the perfect time to like be like well well, instead of dropping out why don't you go study something you're interested in if you're going to just go enter the workforce right now why don't you get an education for two years like mini college basically hands-on experience and go earn a much better paycheck for a an industry or a job in need in in the local industry so I, i that's that's i mean first and foremost before we ever even get to school choice. Like, I think that's something that the United
1: States should invest in, in doing. No, I think, I think that's the right track. And I, uh, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but like, <laughs> I think the principal, for instance, of that school will be able to say like, there's a really good way we could attract students. Let's do this. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Makes sense to me. But if you want to discuss more solutions or. Tell us why you are in Thomas's camp and all aboard school choice or are on my side and think that Liberty is terrible. Join the discord (laughs) link is in the description. We have a sports channel where we poop on Malik Willis all day and nobody's there to defend him because Thomas doesn't chat. Uh, It's really sad. We just. All day, point out all his flaws, and it just goes unchallenged. It's crazy. Too strong think,
1: an arm, too fast, too you, charitable. You would,
0: you would think a graduate who has easy access to this Discord would join and and defend his honor, but, you know... Thomas is uh, doesn't want to bring his slapping hand up. He wants. To, say, was that
1: your dog whistle that I to start slapping people?
0: <laughs> you need to get in. You need to get in the Discord and start verbally slapping people. Yes, that is <laughs> what I'm saying. But yeah, follow us on Twitter at Ovo Deep State at the Rake, but the A's a four at Thomas Black underscore eighty six. I beat the Discord drum every single time because it really is a fun place to have some conversations. We we had six or seven people talking about the Will Smith thing. We have six or seven people talking about sports at any given time baseball's coming up. Probably have zero people talking about that since Thomas is the only baseball fan on the face of the earth and he's not in the discord. Uh, that's not true. I think Josh is a big Astros fan.
1: Yeah. They came in second place. They had a really good season. So yeah,
0: as always, we appreciate you listening. This is uh, part three of our education series. Please go back to the other two episodes and listen to them. And this was the capstone of how to fix those issues. We will, like I said, what we might talk about education if it comes up organically, but as far as this series, we're going to be done with it for now. And I think next episode we'll probably do a lighter topic because I'm going to be fried from taking my midterms and we've done a lot of serious stuff. And it's been, a, I think we did the best and worst presents uh, like over the holidays. So it's been like three, three, four months, uh, so it's it's about time for a much lighter topic. But as always, we appreciate you guys for listening. Take it easy, guys. Later.